0: On July thirteenth, 1978, the president of Ford Motors got fired. This was significant because the president of the company in 1978 was Lee Iacocca, a genius salesman who introduced the world to the Ford Mustang. Lee had also posted record profits for Ford in two years leading up to his termination. And he looked like he was on track to lead Ford into the next era of auto manufacturing, which led economists and car buffs to ask the same question about Ford letting Iacocca go, what the hell? We've all had friends who have gotten fired out of the blue. When we ask them about it, they say things like, it was unexpected, or the boss just had it out for them, that the other workers were jealous. That they did the work of several people, but somebody had a beef with them. We comfort our friends when they get canned, but on the inside, we're rolling our eyes, right? Well, when Lee Iacocca got fired, it was all true. Lee's boss was the chairman of Ford Motors, and he was the grandson of the Henry Ford. And Henry Ford II literally had it out for Lee Iacocca for being too successful and too strong of a businessman. Henry Ford II, while firing Lee, told him, quote, sometimes you just don't like somebody. To make matters worse, Lee was being replaced by a 28 year old kid, the son of Henry Ford II, Edsel Ford. At 54, Lee Iacocca, a man who worked his way through engineering school and bootstrapped his way from engineer to Ford salesman to record-setting company president, was fired and replaced by a 28-year-old son of the chairman just 10 years before retirement. If there ever was a time to throw in the towel, this was it. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Lomentz, the extrovert.
1: And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no duh on the internet and get us to the juicy facts.
0: The phrase throwing the towel has become so overused, it's lost its meaning. We say it to discourage friends and coworkers from quitting before things get too tough. Come on, you can't throw in the towel yet. The fight's not over. But on today's episode, we're talking about quitting. When is it a good time to quit? And statistically, how much quitting should we expect to do in our lifetime? We also want to remind everyone that throwing in the towel can be a good thing. It's a signal to stop a boxing match when your fighter is losing so badly, being beaten so thoroughly, they're not persevering anymore. They're simply being hurt. Leon Coco technically never quit, but he did redirect his abilities. So that's the first myth we need to bust. Myth one, never give up, odds be damned, we shall persevere, always and forever, even against reason, right? Myth two, if you've mastered something, you should continue down that career path. If you've put in your 10,000 soap carving hours and you've achieved the rank of master carver, then you should persist, even past the point of soap carving being financially viable. Myth three, in this economy, if you have a stable job, you should fight to keep it. Wait, wait, no, you should listen to TED Talks. You should quit to pursue your creative dreams. Wait, wait, that's not right either. You should go back to school, focus on marketable skills. Actually, we're not sure which one. But on today's episode, we'll find out.
1: So... Todd, you um, you boxed, right? I did for many years. Did you ever physically throw in the towel?
0: Yeah, I did. So I, I just kind of gave up and knew it was hopeless.
1: Okay, um, so it was an actual towel, right? Like movies haven't lied to
0: me. Well, when you're in the ring; you don't get to do the towel. That your cornerman throws it in. Oh, Okay. But what usually, what they do—it happened to me not in a match, but in sparring, where they said he's he's had enough. Okay, and, and so we're not wrong on the, the
1: research, right? It actually is to prevent injury, basically.
0: He's got no chance of winning. He's just going to get hurt.
1: Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to make sure we had our, our facts right with that. Um, so in your opinion, uh, um, having been someone who has actually been able to, one of the rare people that can say they actually physically threw in the towel, um, when is it okay to quit something in life?
0: Well I'm gonna break it down into two categories. I hold on to love and jobs for, in my opinion, in my history for way too long. I have a high threshold for pain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> why why love and jobs specifically? Is that something about is that
0: something in you, your personality that That's all a life is to me, is love and work. Money oh, okay. and work and you work more to get more love or something like that. When's the time to quit? Um, we'll talk about it on a, a job. I think when the pace and the stress and the strain is – and this process is not sustainable for very long. Okay. Like I don't know much longer I can do this. This really isn't worth the money. You know when you drive to work and you're in your car and then you have the weight on the sh- of the world on your shoulders like you're frozen with hopelessness dread. <laughs> you're like, I can't walk into that building. You're in the parking lot of your job. You're like – I just can't. <laughs> that's when it's time to quit. That's
1: I really love that image. Uh, uh, when you are stuck in the parking lot and you don't want to open that car door. That's, that's perfect.
0: Paralyzed with hopelessness at a dead-end job. Right. Um, I only have one regret. There's a job that I quit that I should have kept of all the jobs I've had. And I'm not going to embarrass myself by telling me how many I've had. <laughs> but in love... I don't have any regrets. All the all the relationships that didn't work out, I don't look back and say, well, I wish we should have done this. The further I get out of them, I realize I should have thrown in the towel sooner and saved myself a lot of emotional and financial damage.
1: It's funny you say that specifically about love because while researching this episode, I came across that over and over and it, it can only really ever be anecdotal Uh, There's not a lot of good statistics for how people feel about past relationships, but a lot of people say the same thing, that they should have quit uh, dead-end relationships earlier. Um, Just as sort of a a bonus fact, uh, have you ever heard of the sunk cost fallacy? I've not. The the notion is that um, when we invest in something, uh, money or time, we're more likely to keep investing into it um because we feel like we owe it like like it's it's going to pay out eventually if you're sitting at a slot machine you're more likely to keep putting money in if you've already put money in
0: so if you're in a relationship and you're in it five years you're thinking i've been doing doing this for five years the the benefits are coming my reward is right around the corner if i quit now got all this in and i don't get anything out
1: right right the the, the money is coming um the, the sunk cost fallacy works with uh, scam artists too. They will get you to invest in something that is bogus. And then they'll ask you to invest again. They're not happy with the scam stopping or, or getting the initial money from you. They will come back because they know the sunk cost fallacy works. They will get you to buy in again because you don't want to lose the initial investment. Um, so when we talk about uh, quitting... Um, I I wish I had written this into the episode so we could plan it out, but the sunk cost fallacy, there's a lot to quitting jobs, quitting relationships.
0: Joe, what are your best reasons to quit?
1: I like, uh, creative liberation. Um, we, we joked about Ted talks in our opening that, that we encourage people all the time to, to quit your job Go seek your creative dream, you know, become self-actualized that way.
0: Um, and we always roll our eyes because a lot of these people have dream jobs that we, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that we exactly. would, most people would kill for.
1: Yeah. Off air, Todd and I have talked about the jobs we've seen, the, the resumes of people who are doing these TED Talks and the jobs before they, quote unquote, take a risk and throw it all out.
0: Or the size of their trust funds.
1: Yeah, they're embarrassingly, you know, wealthy. Like they're they have multiple layers of safety net before they, you know, quit everything. So, uh, but yeah, I, I like uh, quitting for creative reasons. I think is a really if if you work at a laundromat or something, you have every reason in the world to to quit and try something else. Um, so so when you're quitting to pursue something creative uh, we'll get into that when we talk about um, later how many millennials quit their jobs and why younger people are more likely to quit uh, spoiler they are and it's mostly because um, they're pursuing something creative or, or something that will when we say creative we're, we're just talking about something that will benefit them in the long term um, another good way to quit or good reason is burnout like you said um, you're sitting in a parking lot you can't push yourself to go into work to, to cross that lot um, so that's that's just straight up burnout another one uh, that I, I a good reason to quit is Lee Iacocca if you've been at something and you've gone as far as you can in your work field and um, maybe you are like Lee Iacocca being persecuted at your job or you have somebody who is just not going to let you continue that's a good reason to quit I think so speaking of Iacocca from that opening I got a sense that that Ford really actually had it out for him in a a very uh, in a way where he wasn't gonna get out of it by sucking up to the boss or or by making amends or diplomacy so why
0: did Ford have it out for him that's a great point Joe there was no way to win over Henry Ford II. Um, he had a very strange upbringing. He had extremely paranoid and overprotective parents. There was a famous kidnapping, a Lindenburg kidnapping. It was a 12-month-old boy that got stolen from the crib and for ransom. And so the Fords were deathly afraid that this was going to happen to their little boy so they had him with private security from a very young age and he was hidden from the public so he grew up kind of thinking he was pretty special and not like everybody else
1: i i could see that if you're a kid and you have security guards guarding you you might think you're something special
0: and they think then so, they're they're kind of put you in a case like you're a valuable ring or something right now the ford family is absolute american royalty they're old money they're You know, the Ford family still runs Ford, Um, which to me was funny because Henry Ford was such a blue-collar mechanic guy. So you wouldn't think that his family, that he would be this, I call it soft as a pillow. Right. Once you get past the old man.
1: Huh. It it kind of flies against the, the tough car guy notion when you realize that this guy had guards around him and were delicately treating him at all times
0: um Henry, Henry Ford II, when he was at Ford, they said that being brought up like that made him kind of an exaggerated sense of his own importance. And this influenced all of his dealings and all of his management style. And they said his executives, I'm not talking about the people, the lower, but the executives that work with him every day, mm-hmm. every day of work went to work expecting to get fired. Wow. Eggshells. So you can imagine, you've worked your way up. You're at the top of the food chain in this big company, and you have to tiptoe around the this kid, who's a man now, who's firing everybody.
1: Right. You work your way up in life so that you are safer. So imagine getting to that pinnacle of your career, and you are, you know, always afraid of losing it. That's crazy.
0: And Leah Coco works with works for Henry Ford the second. Now, Henry Ford II, not only was he paranoid, not only was he a prince, but he was awful, very suspicious and insecure. So if he saw any of the executives talking about anything, he would go in there, interrupt them, pry himself into the conversation, and make sure that they weren't plotted against him. <laughs> can you imagine?
1: That's that's Game of Thrones stuff. That's, that's yeah, medieval court stuff. That's crazy. So, I want to talk a little bit about um, hope and hopelessness when it comes to uh, quitting generally. Um, Have you ever been in a situation where, like, you were ready to quit, but somebody took you aside and they talked you into continuing something?
0: Yes, we call it "my business." Getting put back together. I like that. That, That's yeah. Because you're all broken up. Like, let me put. Let me tell you, everything's gonna be okay. Just do right, right. This too shall pass. Yes, stick it out. Um,
1: uh, when we when we talk about quitting, there, there's a, a study I want to talk about. I didn't have to look this up. Um, uh, well, I mean, like we, I, I refreshed myself on this study, uh, but it's kind of famous. In fact, and when I say it, some of our listeners will no doubt know about it already. It's called these the mouse swim test. Have you ever heard of the, the mouse or the rat swim test? No. It's, it's kind of super famous um, because it's cruel and it's used by a lot of uh, antidepressant companies to test hopelessness. So the, the, the test is, oh, oh and it was in an episode of Westworld, they, they talked about it, um, but the test is uh, they will put um, mostly mice, sometimes rats. In uh, a bucket of water, and they will watch how long they swim. And uh, rats and mice, if they are uh, hopeless, or, or I mean, like if they actually have the emotion of hopelessness, um, they will give up and, and they will drown. But if they have hope, uh, they will swim longer. So um, first, Makes a lot we'll of sense. This yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's why they use it in uh, depressant tests, because uh, a depressed mouse will um, die faster.
0: And that's how important hope is in our life, that we'll give up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, um, it, it's so prevalent uh, uh, and it works so consistently that this is basically the gold standard of testing antidepressants. Um, and with the mice, uh, when they initially started doing these tests, they would test um, tank and homegrown mice, uh, basically domestic mice, and they would test them against wild mice, the mice uh, that are caught and should be stronger, faster, more aggressive, better swimmers. And they
0: survivalists. They have real survival skills.
1: Yeah, totally. Total uh, like field mice that are uh, you know total survivors. And they found that the field mice, because they hadn't been uh, um, trained with humans, they, they didn't have reason to believe they would get out of this clear tank, they'd put the field mice in, who should survive longer. They'd die in minutes. They'd have the mice that were handled by humans, that, that had grown up in a clear tank, so the, the basin of water is also clear, so they think there's a way out. Like they're used to their own tank where they know there's a door or a way out or somebody will eventually pick them up and take them out. So they put those mice, the trained mice, into these tanks. They'd swim for hours. So that little bit of hope, the, the, the idea that this might end, would keep them going longer. And it gets a little more sad <laughs> if, if you're not feeling slightly depressed already yeah
0: drowning <clears throat> animals it's pretty sad yeah,
1: yeah. um like i said th- this test is uh it's gotten notoriety because it is a little bit cruel um but they they found out that um they could keep them swimming even longer if they would take them out and handle them briefly and then put them <laughs> back in so uh, giving them that much hope, uh, it would increase their time. The, the longest I could find uh, for how long they could keep mice swimming by giving them hope was days. Wow! So field mice will swim for a couple of minutes. If you give mice real hope that they'll get out of this, they'll do it for days.
0: This reminds me of my dating. Like I'll go through these long droughts. And then I'll get a date with someone. That I feel a little bit loved and think, "Oh, maybe I have a chance." Right. <laughs> and then I go back to the drought.
1: <laughs> I this this test really, uh, while reading about this episode in Iacocca, uh, this this mice swim test really for me felt like everything about quitting. Like it it, it encapsulated everything.
0: Well, it's what you just said. You're you're at work and you're having these problems, and someone pulls you aside and. And then keeps you going for your handler takes you out (laughs) of the water
1: tank and says it's gonna be all right for a couple seconds and then you go back to swimming Um, so (laughs) I really don't want this to be our most depressing episode ever but um, when we when we talk about quitting we we're gonna get into how to productively quit how to re-channel your energy so please stick with us if you've if you've listened now for 20 minutes and you're thinking, oh, man, this episode can't get good. There is light at the end. I, I promise you
0: can only get better.
1: Yeah. So um, that's a, that's my takeaway from reading this study is is it, it kind of taught me um, be practical with yourself and your chances. Uh, don't focus on the little moments of hope, the moments where somebody takes you out of your tank and comforts you. Uh, in, instead if you're just swimming in circles like trying to look for a door out uh, um, just think about uh, um, practical what is what is giving you hope uh, take solace in the moments that you have where somebody takes you aside and tries to help you but always be real with yourself I think is my takeaway for this it, it also sounds to me when we are reading this narrative that Iacocca did that that, that, that he I mean, when Ford fired him, my my because I'm I'm mentally a child, I would have flipped the table and threatened him and blown up. Uh, it, it would have been ugly. It would have been really ugly. But it sounds like Iacocca, he, he he was able to rechannel that mastery a lot better.
0: Well, let me tell you a little bit about our hero here, Lee Iacocca. He was a true visionary. When he was at uh, Ford, he was the leader behind the Ford Mustang. And he also, he was one of the first guys to be interested in making a minivan and the Jeep Cherokees. Those are three huge monster hit American cars. In 1975, um, he had the, the vision that he wanted to put Honda engines. He was interested in buying Honda Company and putting Honda engines in Fords. Hmm. Can you imagine what that would have done to the car business if, if they would have gotten that quality? Because at the time, American cars were garbage. They were breaking down all the time. They were two miles per gallon. If you would have bought those Japanese cars, and would, have, there might not even be a Toyota today.
1: I've seen the fast and the furious. So I know American muscle beats everything, every time, always. So you're telling me that at this, this era, uh, Ford was putting out kind of junky cars?
0: Terrible cars. <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs> so
0: so the minivan was a was a huge hit for Chrysler, but it was actually an idea of a Ford engineer, and Lee Coca loved it, and he took it to Mister Henry Ford II, and he shot it down. Wow. Now we always like to tell the full story, so we don't want to build everyone up to say they never made any mistakes. Leah Coco was also in charge of a car called the Pinto. Oh god! Do you know, do you know what a Pinto is, Joe? I there's
1: a, a podcast called The Dollop. They have an episode on the Pinto, and it's a magnificent disaster of a car.
0: <laughs> it was a piece of shit. You know, it was a fuel, fuel efficient death trap. I mean, they, they, they blew they blow up. up. No, yeah. <laughs> so if you think cars things things are dangerous nowadays, he developed a car that just blew up. <laughs> which is not good for business. <laughs>
1: Our master engineer was behind the the explodable car. So, okay, well that, that that gives us perspective. That that lets us know that people make mistakes.
0: Now, Lik, another strength he had. Very few people can be an engineer and a salesperson. Right. They're either one or the other. They're two very different personality types. One's very analytical and then one's very extroverted, kind of like you and me, right?
1: So Ico was both, apparently. He was a
0: master of both. And so he knew both sides of the manufacturing plant and the sales thing. So how valuable is that for a leader?
1: Right. <clears throat> a salesman who actually knows the stats on
0: what he's selling. That's that's
1: very comforting.
0: But when he, when he maxed out at Ford and got fired, now he went to Chrysler. Now all his ideas got the green light instead of the red light roadblock. Okay. So once you reach a, a
1: mastery, uh, we, we joked about um, soap carving. Like that was, our, <laughs> that was our, our joke mastery. But honestly, if you, if you put in enough time at work to master something, uh, when is it okay to quit and let that mastery rot?
0: Well, it's kind of like what you were saying. Like, you, you've put so much time and money into this, you don't want to start over with something else. Right, right.
1: I've thought about in the past what happens if uh, writing doesn't work out because that, that's the one for me is I've, I've put in well over the, the 10,000 or whatever. Um, is there something you've ever mastered where you put in a lot of time and effort and then you abandoned it?
0: I did. I had an industry that just kind of went away. Okay. That I was very invested in just reps wise and I knew it like the back of my hand I I knew the language fluently. Yeah. And then that jobs, it's still around, but there's less of it. It pays probably a third of what it used to pay, right? And it's probably going to be gone totally in a few more years. That that's a really good example. I hadn't thought of that, but um, all the jobs
1: that are being replaced by robots and automation, there are a lot of masters out there that just don't have a trade anymore. Like people who have put in their ten thousand hours, and they're just there's nowhere to put that. There's there's no no place that will use that skill anymore. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about Malcolm Gladwell, and we're going to shoot him full of holes. Um, so y- you and I have both read a lot of Gladwell. Um, we do.
0: We've read his books. We watch his speeches.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of his books, um, he, he talks about um, mastery in the ten thousand hour mark um the, the idea uh, and because of him because of his books um uh, everyone is sort of uh, picked up on that idea that it takes ten thousand hours to master something um if you haven't put in that time maybe you're not a master yet or if you're uh, if you've put in that time you can't help but be a master that all you have to do is stick in it for that long for you know 10 years or whatever and then you'll you'll have your your mastery moment um I went looking for uh, data to back that up, and it, it turns out um, chess champions and people who have achieved mastery in other fields—chess uh, is studied a lot. You, you ever notice how many of our podcasts chess comes up?
0: Yeah, um, it's, it's a status thing for intelligence.
1: It is. It, it's a status for intelligence. It and it also requires, uh, it, it's, a, it's an objective measure. Like, like you can look at chess scores and you can see by the numbers who's a master and who isn't. Um, so master chess players and uh, master musicians are who we're talking about. Um, you can go through and find masters who have only been doing it for a couple of years, who are far below that 10,000 hour mark. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, the, there's a, a website called fast company and, uh, they are who I found this research from, but they, they link off to a couple of other college, uh, um, research articles. Um, but they're the ones who posted an article that talked about all of these people who have achieved mastery in less time. And the, the best examples, the chess and the musicians, um, they found out that, uh, um, the 10,000 hours only accounts for about one-third of your mastery so after reading Gladwell I thought um, time all you have to do is invest time uh, turns out age and uh, when you pick up a skill and how many complementary skills you already have play a whole lot into it so we're not gonna get much deeper than that I just wanted to bring up the notion that um, You may feel like you've mastered something, like maybe you're the guy that puts the door on the Ford car, and now a robot is doing that instead of you. You may have mastered that, but that that means you can transition that skill. Um, Hopefully, uh, if you've put in that mastery hour, you can then take that elsewhere, and maybe you can put a hinge on a cabinet door.
0: (laughs) Well, I always joke about this and um, someone's been there. It's always the person, that guy or gal that says, pounds in their chest, that I've been doing this for 20 years. And usually the people who say that, it doesn't show in their work or their attitude, Joe. Right. Yeah. And so like the guy can start working six months and be right up to speed with that person.
1: Yes. Yeah. So that's going to be something we, we hearken to a couple times in this episode, which is if you've mastered something, you can always transition away from it. And on top of that, uh, be confident in your ability to master something new. If you go to work and and you're you're worried that you'll get replaced, or you'll try something new, or you'll go to a new job and, and you'll lose all that old skill.
0: Tenure does not something o-
1: new. What's that?
0: Tenure doesn't doesn't always equal talent.
1: Yes, perfectly said. Have you ever heard of the book uh, "The Obstacle Is the Way"? No. It's a a, a book about stoicism. Uh, it's similar to, to to Gladwell's kind of stuff. Actually, it's it's pretty close to um, stuff by uh, like like Robert Greene, Four Day Laws of Power," that kind of stuff. So it's it's self helpy, um, but it's 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 mostly focused on sto uh, stoicism. Um, and one of the stories they share in there is about the time Thomas Edison's factory burned down. So Edison was, uh, at this point, uh, an old man, like he was pretty much done with his career. And he was uh, ironically trying to make um, fireproof concrete and his factory burned down in the middle of the night. And he should have been, uh, well, A, ready to retire and B, stressed and pulling out his hair and you know quitting. Like it, it was really, we talk about Iacoca. there's no better time to quit. Um, Same thing with Thomas Edison. His factory taking everything with it, burning to the ground, should have just been it. Like, that should have been, okay, I'm done, you know, pack it in. Um, Instead, Edison uh, turned to his kids and he said, go get the neighbors, go get uh, our friends, bring everyone out here you can. This is going to be amazing. Amazing. And, he, and they watched because he knew there were so many weird chemicals they were working on and so many things in his factory that are going to produce light and, and and flare like fireworks
0: different colored explosions exactly Fourth yeah like july yeah, ex- yes
1: precisely <laughs> yeah. like it's 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 uh it's going to be magnificent so they they watched like like from afar as his factory burned down and they're like ooh ah <laughs> like they're watching it
0: i'd be wrapped in a blanket crying there's my life's work you know
1: right yeah
0: unconsolable
1: i'd be tearing out my hair instead edison is like we're gonna watch this get popcorn yeah so uh when we when a lot of this episode about quitting is actually really secretly about stoicism it's uh how can we quit in a meaningful way that transitions our abilities to something new so speaking of transitioning to something new uh I almost feel like that deserves like a snare him the bum <clears throat> when when Ayakoka left how did he transition his skills to something new like what what did he what did he take on that was
0: like his time at Ford well t- today we're all familiar with bailouts and all the auto manufacturers have been bailed out in the last recession but this was new it, in 1979 Lee Coco, now he's with Chrysler. He's leading Chrysler. So he used his experience to get the same job at another manufacturer. But Chrysler was going out of business. They were bankrupt. They were flirting with bankruptcy. So he goes to Congress in 1979 and gets a bailout of $1.5 billion. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of money today. That's a lot of money in 1979. But there were a lot of, as Joe likes to say, strings attached. They had to streamline a lot of their processes. They had to get their shit together. They also had to uh, scrap some mechanical designs they'd been working on, some of them for 20 years. They had to say, okay, we're not going to let you keep losing money on stupid things that are never to come out.
1: Okay, so they got bailed out, but they really had to, to promise the public they were going to have something worthwhile at the end then.
0: Chrysler paid the loan back and they set a standard in government that it's okay to to bail out these major manufacturers that are going it's going to affect the economy of our whole country.
1: Is that I mean I may be asking a question that we don't have answers for but is that normal did the banks pay the money back when they
0: got bailed? Um, the the all the auto manufacturers did. Yeah, okay. this was a different time because they're on their own. But think of all the big, great-paying jobs in Detroit and all over the world. I mean, all the and all the dealerships, all the parts, of the shipping companies. So he saved not just the company, but a good chunk of our of our country's economy.
1: Right, and our identity. I mean, like Detroit and the the, the car manufacturing, the big three. Right. Yeah. That that that. I mean that uh, you look at posters of you know '70s America and it's cars. Have you, speaking of the car industry and uh, Detroit, have you seen pictures of, of Detroit today or in the last, like, 10 years? Oh,
0: yeah. It's beautiful downtown. D-
1: the, yeah, the, the, the renovated areas look really good. Um, but there's there was a, um, jokes online. People were posting pictures of um, the abandoned parts of Detroit.
0: Uh, yeah, where you can buy a house for $500.
1: Right, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's just, uh, somebody posted in a, a forum, they're like, um, it looks like fallout. Yeah, not, not $500 beginning. a month, <laughs> $500. <laughs> so, when job markets uh, go, like when, when job markets collapse, it, it takes out not just an industry like the car industry. It can take out um, lots of workers, lots of people's livelihoods. It can take out cities. Literally, cities can collapse when job markets go away. Grocery
0: stores, um, restaurants, everything goes when there's no jobs because everyone leaves. Totally.
1: Oregon, um, um, we're podcasting here from Oregon. We have lots of small towns that like when the mill left or when like uh, whatever industry was keeping that town afloat, the town turns into a ghost town. Like people, we've, we've got several that just got burned uh, in this latest set of wildfires. They had industries leave and they, they, you know, the town itself was just sort of a figment of what it was. So with that kind of job market where where they can just sort of disappear, we have to be flexible as people, I think. Um, And I wanted to look this up. If we're doing an episode about quitting, we had to ask the question, how many times will we quit in life statistically? Uh, Generally speaking, how many jobs can we expect to hold? Uh, so before I answer that question, I thought I'd embarrass you and me. I, I want to. I want to ask this: How many jobs have you held in your lifetime?
0: I'm just gonna say it. It hurts, but I was at thirty <laughs> plus.
1: Thirty plus. Do you think that's uh,
0: statistically high or low? I think I'm bringing all the average up. <laughs> I'm skewing the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to.
1: I'm gonna. I'm gonna overshare. Um, uh, I have had. I think two or three jobs, but that's with a caveat. I've had one job for about 20 years, but it's the same job at lots of different locations with uh, the, the employer and the company has changed over time. Um,
0: so so, so for th- yeah, that means you've had one job.
1: Yeah, I've I've had one job that has changed its face and logo over and over and over again. I
0: actually respect that because when new bosses come in, they change things and they're not usually fair. And you and you persevered through it. So yeah. I, my my hat's off to you on that one.
1: I um I I work a job um that is boring desk job and I have kept it over the years because um, I literally do nothing at work and it gives me all the time in the world to write and study and that's that's what I'm in for when I joked about the laundromat I actually might as well work at a laundromat because that's basically the engagement my job has um, so I, I'm statistically lucky um, Joe's smarter
0: than the rest of us he gets paid to follow his dreams so I look yeah. up to you on that <laughs>
1: Oh, if, if only it paid uh, enough to do anything else. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, get, I get paid peanuts, but I, I do get to write, which is fantastic. Um, but I, I am statistically low on that average, and you are high on that average. Uh, what will um, the, the typical worker, according to USA Today, will have about 12 different employers in his or her lifetime. Um, younger workers are also statistically more likely to leave their jobs in search of better offers. And that's from uh, uh, data from uh, Vizier. So generally speaking, um, if, if you can expect to have a job change 12 times in your life, that means flexibility is super important. Um, so we, we, we joked about how people in TED Talks always tell you, quit your job, pursue your dreams. It's actually maybe a little bit more accurate to say, uh, just expect to leave your job, and not necessarily to quit your dream, or to quit to pursue your dream, uh, but just the flexibility of quitting and jumping on the next job. That itself might be more important than the skills at the job.
0: This The book that popped in my head was, Who Moved My Cheese? And what you're doing right now might not be viable at some point, or they may not just want you anymore.
1: Yeah. Now, we're gonna, we're gonna have a, a, a slight caveat to that. Um, mastery might be overrated for a job, but that's specific for a job. If you're mastering something that you enjoy, then it's something worthwhile because it will. Um, you're more likely to remember things that you're mastering and you're more likely to um, engage in it outside of a job if you truly enjoy it. So if you enjoy, say, cabinetry, and you've been doing that for a job, but you would do it even if you weren't getting paid, then then continue, because that's the best kind of mastery.
0: Something you'll never get sick of, that you have a genuine interest.
1: Right. For me, obviously, writing, like I would do that without getting paid, so it's it's similar for everybody. Uh, everybody going to master something in their lifetime, whether they want to or not, um, but they can do it without being paid. Um, I'm going to hearken to... Uh, this comes from a, a Forbes article, but this is a, an interview with Robert Greene. Um, I've talked about Robert Greene before. He's, he's very much a self-helpy guy. Uh, he wrote a book called Mastery, which is all about what we're talking about today. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to directly read this quote because I, I don't want to skewer it. So this is a Robert Greene, author of Mastery. Quote, I had also worked as a consultant to many powerful people in the business uh, and the arts. I had noticed that many of these successful people, historical and contemporary, shared certain common traits. They had a way of thinking that was exceptionally fluid. They could adapt to almost any circumstance. When confronted with the problems, they could look at them from novel perspectives and solve them. They could do all of this with surprising rapidity, as if they had developed an intuitive feel for their work. So if you want, uh, I don't know if there's a better way of of saying simply that the ability to look at something and fluidly figure it out, rapidly adapt to it, and be flexible, uh, that might be true mastery. So if you have mastered soap carving or cabinet making, you may want to master flexibility next.
0: That's yeah, and that's very. I've always thought of it as being stubborn and things are the way they are, but what you're saying is, is it's the opposite. You yeah. got to go with the flow and remain flexible in your approach.
1: Yeah, uh, we we should retitle this episode instead of saying quitting. This episode could just be called how to flexibly transition between jobs. <laughs> but that's a little bit lengthy for a title. So we'll we'll, we'll go with quitting. So, um, speaking of quitting, uh, can we talk about when Iacocca finally did throw in the towel? Because you have to at some point in your life, right?
0: Yeah, our hero, Lee Iacocca. So th- he was a huge hit at, at Chrysler. And when he retired, he became a symbol of national success. Um, he was worth, well, we'll put it, we always like to talk about money because it's something we can measure, 150 million dollars in 1992. Dang and he was a celebrity because he did all the Chrysler TV commercials. So he was the face of the company.
1: That there's there's something beautiful to that. Like like he goes from Ford where he is obviously being, you know, underutilized and 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 thrown around. He is he is making improvements. He's behind the scenes. Ford is the face of Ford obviously. And then he goes to Chrysler and he becomes their their not just their their leader, but their their representation.
0: Now, how do you think that made them feel when they saw that he brought them back from the... <laughs> and they have to see his face on TV grinning at it. They're probably pissed the whole family off. Right. I,
1: I've never looked at Ford as being sort of like these nepotistic villains, but but them staring and glaring at Ayakoka's face on the TV, That there's there's beauty to that. I like that.
0: Now, um, there's a sales trainer, and they're always talking to me about Lee Iacocca's wife Um, There's a famous sales quote, and she taunted him every time he was getting ready to give up, quit, or throw in the towel. Mm -hmm. And what she would always say to him, she'd kind of poke him with a stick and say, oh, Mr. Ford would love to hear that you're going (laughs) to (laughs) quit. And this would piss Lee off, and then he'd go back to work and keep on going.
1: That's awesome.
0: We usually don't do a lot of quotes. Joe did one, and I'm going to do one here because it's the same thing. I, I really can't say it. I can't really shorten it up, but I do want to leave with this, co- this quote from Lee Iacocca. And this is about him getting fired and what that meant and in the trajectory of his career. Quote, well, I didn't plan it out that way, but by getting canned in 1978, I got thrown into a situation where I became a leader. You need to have a war to make general.
1: Awesome, I like that.
0: If you're stuck in a dead-end job and you know there's no place to go, no way to improve, no chance to get what you want, and the compensation isn't worth it, then quit. Stop swimming in circles. Be honest with yourself. Ask the hard questions. Do I have more bargaining power right now behind my desk or at my next job interview? Is my boss likely to let me advance or is he holding the position open for his son whose name is on the building? Mastery is no safeguard. Becoming proficient at a skill is essential, sure, but companies already expect you to master whatever they sit in front of you anyway. If you take your valuable time to master something, choose a skill that's meaningful to you because mastery isn't an equal playing field and you'll learn faster and be less likely to quit if you master something that's meaningful to you. Lastly, the typical worker will have 12 different employers throughout their lifetime. For some of us, it'll be a lot more. This means your loyalty and time should be invested in yourself flexibility education fluidity emotional stability awareness those are the skills that will carry you should you decide to quit your loyalty should go to yourself not your company you are not a forklift rated for a certain low capacity each day to be taken out by your boss and used for specific purpose. Instead, we're all by necessity of the times and economy, renaissance men and women, inventors, experimenters, and flexible learners. And we should damn well act like it. You've been listening to The Re-Engineered You, Thank you so much for listening to this show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week.
1: Connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com, where we have research links, show notes, and blog articles for every episode. We also appreciate feedback. We love spirited debates. And tell us about a time you quit something. that would be fun.
0: <laughs> We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.
1: And speaking of opinions on everything, uh, I'm going to read someone's uh, opinion that may inflate our ego, Todd. <laughs> uh, this is a uh, review from a uh, five-star review on Stitcher for us.
0: Flattery will get you everywhere with us.
1: Absolutely. Uh, this is from Moxie. Uh, Moxie says, every episode was captivating. They should not be missed, but listened to with an intention to learn, grow, and glean from all the diligent work put into these podcasts. Joe is a brilliant researcher and writer. Todd is an interview with panache and has the ability to infuse the message brilliantly. Thank you very much, Moxie.
0: Very cool. We love you, Moxie. Thank you so much for the support. Very Thank cool. You.
1: And if anyone else wants to leave us a five star review and make our ego any larger like this, (laughs) we will read it on the show. Thank you very much.